It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And you can always find this show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you find fine podcasts. You can also find it on the brand new Himalaya podcast app. Check it out. And if you don't like looking at podcast apps at all, or if you listen in your car and you don't want to be looking at your phone, you can always just ask your smart device, your Siri, your Amazon Alexa, whatever, play podcast Locked On Vikings. If you just say those words, play podcast Locked On Vikings, it'll bring you right to the most recent episode. And that works for things like, say, play podcast Locked On NFL Draft, which is currently in its, like, regular season. So make sure you go and check that out. So... We have a pretty fun show today. Uh, There's a few little random rumors and miscellaneous things to address. I'm pretty excited about this episode's prospect of the day, and everything is going to tie together nicely with the main topic that you probably saw in the title. But first, let's talk a little bit about some rumors and some conjecture. Uh, There is no real news, so if, if you're looking for, like, actual updates on things that are official, there's none of that. This is all just whispers from uh, beat reporters and, and quotes from Spielman and Zimmer and stuff. Um, if you want, like, the only actual official announceable news is that uh, Rick Spielman's contract was extended through 2020, just like Mike Zimmer's. Uh, the Wilfs like to keep that in sync, so now both... Spielman and Zimmer are under contract until 2020, and if those contracts expire at the end of 2020 at the same time Kirk Cousins expires, that kind of gives the Vikings a chance, if they're unsatisfied with this particular setup, to very cleanly get out of all of it and, and be set up for another person to come in. And if they do decide to go that way, I don't think they should. And I think it would have to go pretty poorly in the next couple of years for this to happen. But if that does happen, they'd be really set up for whoever the next person is to come in and and have a very clean slate. Elsewhere in uh, pretty substantiated rumors, at least, Sean Mannion, who we've talked about on the show before, is somebody that the Vikings have targeted as a veteran backup and competition for Kyle Sloter. There's that magic word that we're going to talk about a whole bunch later in the show, competition. Um, he's probably going to come in over the weekend, so we'll have answers, you know, probably, hopefully by the Monday show next week, we'll have an answer on, on what's going on with that. Hopefully we'll have more answers on what's going on with the backup interior line position that's currently between Brett Jones and Tyler Shatley. Could kind of be either or between those two guys. So we'll see what happens there. So free agency isn't completely officially totally over, but for the most part, we're still kind of talking about the draft. There were some other quotes from Mike Zimmer. They uh, were doing events at, like, league meetings this week, and so reporters got the chance to ask questions of, like, Spielman and Zimmer and and talk to people and kind of get clarity on some things. There has been a lot of talk about the reorganization of the offensive line. There was a rumor reported by Andrew Kramer, like, a month ago that the Vikings were mulling the idea of moving Riley Reef to left guard, Uh, and maybe moving Brian O'Neill to left tackle, or maybe not, depending on what happens in the draft. And Mike Zimmer more or less confirmed that they had discussed this, but not quite in the, the level of extremity that the Kramer report, I think, suggested and got people thinking. 
you know, that that report made it seem like they were going to shuffle everything around and then go draft a right tackle. It was more that like, listen, if we get a good left tackle and he needs to start at left tackle, we'll move Riley Reef to guard. We won't just pass on that guy because we have Riley Reef. And that does create a weird redundancy, but it's definitely better on passing the guy if you think that that guy is good enough to like be worth it. And in similar discussion of the news on uh, KFAN on Tuesday, Paul Allen said that he, he thought it was, and he's really plugged in with the organization and tends to be right about these kinds of feelings, uh, that he thought it was kind of a long shot that Brian O'Neill would move to left tackle. Kind of sounds like they're going to get somebody and either get a guard to play left guard or get a tackle to play left tackle, and Riley Reef will play at the other position. Or if they draft a center, they move Pat Elfline to left guard and Riley Reef stays at left tackle. I think they're open to all of those ideas, and, and I don't think that they're going to pass on an offensive lineman because of who is already on on their roster, which in the abstract is kind of the correct way to play it, right? Go get the best guys and then figure out what the best configuration of them is in training camp. And as always, you know, keep your options open. And so the draft board will kind of dictate where that conversation goes. And I don't really think there's anything more to discuss until we know exactly who's going to be in the room. Uh, Elsewhere in the league, obviously, Rob Gronkowski has left the Patriots without really much at the tight end position. And considering the impact that Gronkowski had on the Patriots, they'll probably look to replace him sooner rather than later. There was a Patriots reporter, I'll link this report in the show notes, or this this article in the show notes, that came up with a plan that said, hey, it makes a lot of sense for the Patriots to trade for Kyle Rudolph. He would fit perfectly in the mold and what the Patriots are looking for and stuff. And that, that sparked some interesting conversations about the hypothetical. Now, reading that report, it's not reporting. It's not saying that they're mulling it over, or it's it's nothing about what the Patriots are thinking about doing or how they're doing it. It's just, it's a guy's opinion, and a reasonably written one, and a decent opinion if you're a Patriots fan. I actually think that would be a pretty good move for them, considering, like, the value and what else is available to them. You know, I talked about yesterday in the Talent Cliffs conversation that the Patriots are in a weird spot where they can't really draft a tight end and have it be good value. You know, if you were to flip Kyle Rudolph for like a third and maybe even more considering all of the factors, like the Patriots are paying a lot of different taxes. They're paying the desperation tax because they don't have a tight end and they don't have many alternatives. So you can upcharge them because of that. They're paying a contract tax because Kyle Rudolph's contract is very team friendly right now. It's probably cheaper than you would pay for like a premier tight end in a vacuum. And it's a one-year deal with no guarantees, which means it's like prime for extensions or for just letting him go. If you let him go, you get a comp pick back. That ups the price. So there's a lot of like price inflating factors with Kyle Rudolph's situation. So trading him to the Patriots could get like a really nice return. I know that it like sounds all the time that I'm just trying to get rid of Kyle Rudolph, but I'm open to trading any player if you get enough in return. Every man has his price, right? And this might be a really great opportunity to flip Kyle Rudolph for more than you would get if you just let him walk in free agency. However, like I just said, there's no actual reporting going on here. There's no indication that the two teams are even in talks about anything like this, or in t- there's no indication that the Patriots are trying to trade for any tight end, or that the Vikings are trying to trade Kyle Rudolph to anybody. I'm pretty sure they're open to trading anyone for the right price, but like that's not really news. That's just like, yeah, if you want to overpay for somebody, we will gladly accept your bad decision. So for now, that is going to have to remain a hypothetical, an interesting thought experiment, but only a thought experiment. So I'm going to step away to a quick ad break, but when I come back, we will talk about the prospect of the day, somebody who I actually think the Vikings have a lot of potential of actually drafting, and the main topic of competition, which you probably saw in the title of the show. So I'll see y'all in a minute. 
Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, we're back. So let's get into today's prospect. If you are new to the show or you're just tuning in or you've been away for a while, this is something that I'm doing all the way up until draft day. We will talk about on this podcast one new prospect a day. And today's guy is Draymond Jones. He's an interior defensive lineman, uh, a three-technique defensive tackle, which is something that the Vikings kind of need. He's from the Ohio State Buckeyes. The Vikings were at that pro day, so it could be, you know, they got to see him do his pro day in person. They got to see him at the Combine, too. I believe he passes all of the measurable tests for the Vikings, and he has been falling to around pick 81 in a lot of mock drafts that I've been seeing. He's been, or you know, in the second or third round. He's been taken in a spot that it would make sense for the Vikings to be there to take him. Um, and he fits the profile of what the Vikings typically look for in interior defensive tackles, and coming as a day two pick would be a, a cheaper price because the Vikings, I think they feel like they have somebody in Shamar Stefan that can compete to start, but you need to get him somebody to compete with. And I don't think Jalen Holmes, who is still very new to the interior, and Jaleel Johnson, who has been very quiet and rather disappointing for a fourth-round pick, I don't think those guys are ready to compete for a starting position. So I do think you have to acquire somebody to kind of challenge Shamar Stefan. And if you do think that he's the type of guy that can start, then, you know, make him beat somebody, and Draymond Jones would be that somebody. So let's talk about this prospect. This guy is a prospect. The first thing that really jumps out to me that everybody talks about is his hand technique and that he he has this nasty cross chop. And, and all that means is like, you know, swatting away an offensive lineman's hands so they can't get his, you know, they can't get their hands onto your chest and get that leverage battle. He is just violent with his hands and that makes it really hard to get leverage on him. Now, he's a little undersized and it'll be hard to, for him to get to like 295, which is kind of where you need to be to be a three tech. Uh, but because of that hand technique, it helps kind of mitigate that issue. And even against bigger NFL athletes, it'll still help mitigate that issue because I don't care how big you are. If you can't get your hands on me, you can't block me. He also has a trait that I know Mike Zimmer is in love with. Uh, and it's something that like, I, I just know that the Vikings are really interested in getting a three tech that has a, a good first step and an explosive burst off of the line. And he has that on his tape. He really shoots gaps in the run play and he gets out of his stance very quickly and with a lot of urgency. And that's something that the Vikings value very highly. And with good reason, it really like requires you as an offensive lineman 
to get out of your stance just as quickly and get set very quickly. If you remember yesterday, we talked about Eric McCoy and how a good thing about him was that he got, you know, he quote unquote built his house very quickly. And that's something that like Eric McCoy does well, which implies that there's a lot of guys in the draft and a lot of guys in the league that don't do that well, that maybe try to win in other ways. When you have a first step, you require the offensive line to build that house quickly and you punish everybody who doesn't. It's a really, really valuable trait and something that the Vikings like really look for. And and it would not surprise me if they were very interested in Draymond Jones. Now, like I said, he's a day two guy, not a day one guy, which means that there's going to be some, some flaws that you have to deal with at that point. So the first flaw is that he doesn't really have the length and the leverage to play with as poor of a pad level as he does. Now, pad level, like if you think about shoulder pad level, height off the ground, that is just like how low you come in. In a leverage battle, low man wins. That's a principle you'll hear all the time at every level of football, low man wins. Because if you think about it, it's easier to push upward and to squat than it is to push downward on something coming at you and stop it that way. It's just easier leverage. So if you can keep your shoulders low and get it so that you get under your opponent, that means that you're going to be able to drive them back rather than them driving you back. And unfortunately, Draymond Jones struggles at this. He comes up and he stands too straight. And he's too straight-legged was a word that I think Lance Zerline used to describe it. Everybody else just kind of said pad level. He just comes in way too high. And he doesn't have the play strength to overcome that. Some college athletes, you know, are just like ridiculously obscenely strong and they can come in with crappy pad level and it doesn't matter because they can just overpower dudes. Draymond Jones does not have that strength. Like I said, he's a little bit lighter than you wish he was for a three technique defensive tackle. So that means that if somebody can get his hands on him and he's very good at preventing that and very good at avoiding this situation, but it means it's very difficult for him to like stack up and shed a block or, you know, like get up onto an into an offensive lineman and then get off of his block and then go make a play. It's very hard once he's gotten to that blocked stage for him to to shed and and like become relevant to the play again, which means he can get washed out a little bit too much for your liking. Now, that is an issue. Pad level is an issue that can be taught. It's You can just like get him into the habit of better pad level, and Andre Patterson is as good as anybody at doing that. But because he comes with like instructions, you know, like some assembly required almost, that's going to sink his value a little bit. Now, the other thing about him that is perhaps a little concerning comes as a result of like all of these issues is that he can't two-gap. So two-gap and one-gap is a really fancy way of describing different defensive fronts like 4-3 and 3-4. So the Vikings typically will one gap. That means that you don't line, you know, a, a hat on a hat or you don't you don't line a defensive lineman up directly like shoulder to shoulder across from an offensive lineman. That's two gapping because if you think about it if if I am lined up directly across from you, I'm responsible if a running play goes to the left of you or to the right of you. I'm responsible for both of those gaps and I'm basically just trying to stalemate with you and then get off to the side and make a tackle if it comes through one of those two gaps. You need to be really strong to do that because you kind of just need to like hold your position while the run play develops, which can take a bunch of time. So unfortunately, Draymond Jones doesn't really have the strength to reliably do that. He'll get washed out, he'll get driven back, and he won't be able to cover two gaps. However, he is excellent at one gapping, and one gapping is the exact opposite of that, right? You were responsible for one gap, get between the guys, fill the gap, and make it so the running back can't go there. That is what the Vikings do. So his lack of strength, meaning that he can't two-gap. Now, the Vikings, of course, it's always a mix, right? You're going to have some fronts where you do want your three-technique defensive tackle 
to two gap and to be responsible for those things so that other players can focus on other things. So again, it is a drawback and it's something that you have to deal with if you're going to, you know, get a, a competitive starter in the third round rather than in the first round like Christian Wilkins or Ed Oliver or whatever. However, it is something that because the Vikings one gap way more often than they two gap and really every 4-3 defense one gaps more often because you just have more people on the defensive line and it makes it a little bit easier. You like you don't need to ask your nose tackle to cover two gaps because you just often have enough people to like be okay. Whereas in a 3-4, you know, guys are more spread out and you kind of need your like Haloti Nada or I think this was Mike Daniels or Muhammad Wilkerson on the Packers. You know, you kind of need those guys to like cover two gaps so that your linebackers can run around and be free to do other things. So in a 3-4 where Draymond Jones would be like a five technique and like the kind of the outside defensive lineman in a 3-4, I don't think he would be as good at that because he doesn't have the strength to like hold up when you ask and, you know, and do what you ask those defensive linemen to do. What Mike Zimmer asks his defensive linemen to do fits Draymond's skill set a lot better. And so that provides an opportunity for value, right? A lot of teams are going to take him off their board because they're going to say he's not strong enough. And that means he's going to fall in the draft further than he would have if everyone evaluated defensive linemen like the Vikings do and looked for what the Vikings look for in defensive line. That means you're going to get a guy that you would have taken in the second round, but he's going to fall to the third round. And now suddenly you're getting players that you were higher on for cheaper than you think that you should have to pay for them. That is how you get value. And a bunch of little advantages like that can add up over time into a a defense that has a lot more room for talented players. This is kind of how the Vikings have built a top five defense every year is by finding these little values, you know, getting a guy like Daniel Hunter in the third round, getting a guy like Anthony Harris in undrafted free agency. These are just little advantages where you, the cost is lower than it should be. And that allows you to compile more talent with the limited resources that you are afforded. That's supposed to be equal with the rest of the league and have parity. So there is an opportunity with Draymond Jones to, get a player. I, I think if the Vikings took him on day two, I would be really happy. And I think he would go into camp and compete with Shamar Stefan. Now we're going to talk about competition and the whole point of competition in the next segment. Um, but with Draymond Jones, I would be really happy with him as, as a day two interior defensive lineman. I think he fits what the Vikings would ask him to do. And I think that, that his flaws would not be exposed as often because the Vikings wouldn't ask him to do things that he's not good at very often. That makes him a good fit. So as I talked about at the top of the show, there's this new podcast app called Himalaya that we are on. If you go download Himalaya from your app store and locked, uh, uh, subscribe to Locked on Vikings, that would be very awesome. Himalaya is a new app that is designed to kind of help you sift through the huge volume of podcasts that are out there. There are so many podcasts from football to true crime to whatever else you're interested in, and it'll create like curated playlists for you and really help you sort through with all kinds of new fun features. It's more than just a library of podcasts. It actually like helps improve your listening experience. Go check it out. Try it. Subscribe to this show and whatever else you listen to on it. If you don't like it, you can go right back to Podbean or Stitcher or whatever else you listen to podcasts on. We will not leave those places. We'll always be there too. All right, so let's talk a little bit about competition on an NFL roster. This is something you hear every coach and GM talk about all the time. You know, we're bringing in competition, competition, you know, the cream rises, it makes everybody better. And I think that's a really difficult thing to think about in this time of year when you're really only focused on who's going to be starting at the positions where my favorite team doesn't have a starter. You know, my favorite team doesn't have a starting left guard right now. 
And in my opinion, they don't really have a starting three technique defensive tackle. I, I think they have a guy who could potentially win a competition in Shamar Stefan, but you got to give a guy, you got to give him a guy to compete with. I don't think he gets anointed with that job. And elsewhere in jobs that a guy probably shouldn't just get by default is Kyle Sloter at backup quarterback. He's only played one preseason with the team, only two preseasons total. They were both very good, but, you know, third and fourth quarters of preseason games, how accurately can you really evaluate a guy? So it doesn't surprise me at all that the Vikings are trying to bring in veteran competition in Sean Mannion to try and, you know, up the ante at backup quarterback. They don't have the cap space and they don't have it in their plan to get like a real backup quarterback like Derek Anderson was or like Ryan Fitzpatrick or, you know, one of those guys that really gives you an insurance policy like what they had with Case Keenum in 2017. So instead, they have to kind of resort to plan B, which is competition between two lesser players in Sean Mannion and Kyle Sloter, or whoever they end up trying to get. They'll try to get a veteran, or maybe they'll draft. They, Mike Zimmer talked about this at uh, in all of the interviews of Tuesday. He talked about, like, or, you know, maybe draft somebody in the, in the later parts of the draft or something. Um, it is typical for the Vikings to bring in three or four quarterbacks into camp, so they will acquire other quarterbacks somehow. They're not just going to go in with just the two guys. And generally, outside of the starting quarterback job, which, of course, Kirk Cousins has that no questions asked, you're always going to have competition because it's always going to be better to make somebody prove that they can beat somebody out. But that may be really confusing, right? Because, like, okay, if you have Kyle Sloter and he's as good as he is, right? And if he can beat Sean Mannion out, then why get Sean Mannion and spend any money on him in the first place? And if he can't, then you probably need someone better than Sean Mannion. And I think that's the point that actually got a lot of people riled up. Like, if you look at the replies to any tweet about Sean Mannion coming in for a visit, a lot of the replies are, like, facepalm gifts and people saying, like, oh, how is it? They're so stupid about this. Why Sean Mannion? He's so bad. And the point is to establish a floor, not necessarily to improve the ceiling. They don't have it in the budget to improve the ceiling. It's something that I wish that they could do. I wish that they could make the backup quarterback position a little bit better, but because the Kirk Cousins contract is a little prohibitive and they had to spend a lot of their energy figuring out how to keep all of the really key starters in place, they can't really focus on backups. It's the cost to do in business. So when you bring in a guy like Sean Mannion and it doesn't really help that, it seems it's it's hard to figure that out. It seems pointless. But if you think of players as constants, it doesn't make any sense. But if you think of players as a range of outcomes, especially unknown players like Kyle Sloter and Sean Mannion, Sloter has zero regular season passes and Sean Mannion has 53 regular season passes to his name. They're both very much unknowns. There's what they've shown in preseasons or whatever. Uh, and whatever you can get out of like training camp reports. And that's kind of about all you really know about these guys. So there's a range of outcomes, right? What if Kyle Sloter is secretly like Tony Romo, right? And Tony Romo was an undrafted free agent, carved out this wonderful career for himself and was the Dallas Cowboys starter for like 10 years and was pro bowler all the time and all that. What if Kyle Sloter is Tony Romo and we just haven't found out yet? Uh, that, that's a possibility. That's something that could happen. And the second he gets into a starting game, he's like this total gamer and he like wins a bunch of games. And suddenly he's, you know, this happens all the time with quarterbacks. This has happened with a, a bunch of quarterbacks where they'll be, you know, a lower tier guy that suddenly shows that they're a lot better than everybody thought they were. That could happen with Slaughter. Nobody, sure, it's within the realm of possibility. He could also be completely unroster, unrosterable and like mid-tier AAF talent. We don't know because we haven't seen him play in a real game situation against starting caliber NFL players yet. 
So when there is an unknown like a Kyle Sloter, or like I would argue Sean Mannion is in a really similar boat despite his 53 passes, you have to parse that in a way. Now, risk is a thing in the NFL, and managing risk, there's all kinds of theories on it. We could go you know, dig into economics and really get into it, and maybe I will someday. But with risk, you have to kind of think about the range of outcomes and think about the situation you've presented. And if he's good, how does that come out? And if he's bad, how does that come out, right? So in this range of hypotheticals, let's imagine Kirk Cousins gets injured or can't play for whatever reason, and we do need to play the backup quarterback. If Kyle Sloter is good, this is not an issue. And whatever you do is pretty much moot. He'll beat out whoever you bring in for competition if he's good. And it'll be fine if, if Kirk Cousins is in the concussion protocol and has to miss a game. And, and if Kyle Sloter is good, then you're fine. You're set up for that situation. But if Kyle Sloter is bad, let's say Kyle Sloter can't play. And you get, he gets in against uh, an NFL caliber defense for the first time in his NFL career. And he completely falls apart. He throws like three picks right away. That's a situation you want to avoid, and you don't really know how to avoid it, but if he is that bad, if he's if he's really that bad of a quarterback, he wouldn't beat out Sean Mannion in a competition, right? And Sean Mannion embodies the same spectrum, where he could be secretly really good, and we just haven't seen it yet because he hasn't been in the field. Now, this is unlikely with both him and Sloter, otherwise we probably would have seen more in preseasons from them. But either way, if one of those two guys is good, they'll beat the other one out, and this question will kind of answer itself. Or if one of those two people is bad and the other guy is just average or just kind of like a whatever backup quality guy, you know, say Sean Mannion sucks, like we all kind of think he does, and Kyle Sloter is just an average backup quality quarterback, which is kind of what we all think he is anyways, well, Sean Mannion will lose the competition to Kyle Sloter and Kyle Sloter will beat him and and Sean Mannion might not even make the team you don't pay anything for it and you just kind of got a little bit of evidence to prove to yourself that Kyle Sloter is okay to be the backup but if you don't go through those tests you don't sort out any of those really bad outcomes so with Kyle Sloter the truly truly worst case scenario is that he's bad right if Kyle Sloter is good enough to be the backup quarterback then none of these decisions are really going to make a difference in the end the, the other guy you bring in won't make the team they won't cost you anything because they didn't make the team in terms of uh, at least in terms of salary cap and that's fine, right? If Kyle Sloter is good enough to be your backup, then this exercise, it's not moot because it proves that he was and it, it helps you find out that he was, but you're not going to get burned really if Kyle Sloter is good. But if Kyle Sloter is bad and Kirk Cousins gets injured and you have like a Nathan Peterman five interception situation on your hands, you're going to get punished for that. And because we haven't seen Kyle Sloter play in real regular season games and bringing in a guy like Sean Matt. Sean Mannion is a tacit admission of this like uncertainty, which is, I think, very wise on the part of the Vikings and something that they do with every position. They're, they're doing this with Shamar Steven as well, except for a starting job. Then having the floor of a Sean Mannion helps you adjust against that. If Kyle Sloter is worse than Sean Mannion, that's a really bad situation to be in. And by bringing in Sean Mannion, you protect yourself against that scenario. Because if Kyle Sloter is worse than Sean Mannion, then Kyle Sloter doesn't make the team. And then you're done with that situation. You do not expose yourself to anything worse than Sean Mannion. And this is how all competition works. This is how Tom Compton worked 
last season when he was originally brought in to compete at right guard with Danny Isadora. And it essentially made a rule. You cannot start for the Vikings if you are not better than Tom Compton. And that means that anybody like Isadora or if there was like, say there was a TJ Clemmings just disaster on the roster. Well, that guy's not going to see the field until he goes through Tom Compton. And that means that you have safeguarded yourself against having to start players that are worse than Tom Compton. This is what Shamar Steven is going to provide. Shamar Steven, I, I don't think that he is a starting quality three technique, but I think he's a close to replacement level as a starter. And I, I think he's a definitely is amazing backup, probably too good to be a backup. He's kind of straddling that like inner line. And that means that whoever they draft, they draft Draymond Jones, like I've been talking about today, or, you know, if they draft someone else or if, you know, they bring Tom Johnson back or whatever. And, and Tom Johnson has his like age unknowns. You don't know if he's going to fall off that age cliff. Whoever else is here at three technique, Jalen Holmes too, and Jaleel Johnson, if they want to start, they have to be better than Shamar Steven. And that is a good rule to put in place because say, you know, Jaleel Johnson stinks, but Shamar Steffen isn't there. And he's Steven Steffen. I'm going back and forth on that. Uh, If he's not there, say tears his ACL and training camp or something like that. And Jaleel Johnson isn't better than Shamar Steffen. Then you're going to miss having him, right? Because now you have to start somebody who is worse than you would have had if you had just had him on the roster. And because these competition elements can be very cheap, it's a very cheap way to to establish a very high floor at certain positions that you haven't been able to really invest fully in. I think that's really how it works at three technique for the Vikings. At backup quarterback, the competition is between two guys that I don't think are really good enough to be backups and have a lot to prove before they change my mind on that. Um, but having that competition means, you know, you you guard yourself against certain crater scenarios. So that is like the general logic of competition. Players are a range of outcomes. They're not static. One guy is just this good. One guy is just that good. They're a range, right? They could be good. They could be bad. And if they're bad, it's a problem for you unless you hedge yourself against that situation by having somebody better in the room to start in lieu of the bad player. That is the whole point of competition. It's the point of bringing in a guy like Sean Mannion. It's the point of drafting a a three technique, even though you have Shamar Stefan on the, on the roster and It's a principle that the Vikings have always employed for the last, like, 15 years and something that other smart teams do very well. I think the Patriots do a really good job of that as well. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Tomorrow will be the last show of the week, so we'll hit any other news that we have. Hopefully over the weekend, there's some moving and shaking with the final, like, loose ends of free agency so we can really wrap that up for good and focus our attention fully on the draft. But as always, tomorrow there will be another prospect of the day. I don't know who it will be, and we will find another topic to talk about. We'll start talking about draft philosophy and, and, you know, all kinds of draft strategy stuff as the weeks wear on. But for now, that is going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always find the show on Himalaya. Go check that out and give it a try. If you don't like it, you can find the show on Stitcher, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings if you don't want to lift a finger. It's a really neat way to get to any locked on podcast it'll take you right to the most recent episode so thank you guys so much for listening and hanging out and as always skull hey locked on minnesota listeners this is tony abbott here to tell you about the brand new locked on wild podcast where my co-host joe bully and i break down the minnesota wild every single day how can you listen just search for locked on wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring locked on wild to your device every day